Just a heads up, this episode deals with historical violence towards animals, dogs specifically, as part of Victorian medical practices. I'm a, a little bit squeamish about that kind of thing, and I thought some of you might be as well. So consider yourself warned. That said, it's a fascinating story worth knowing about. So onto the show. Battersea Park covers 200 acres right along the Thames River in London. And there are fountains and beautiful plants and a children's zoo in there. But there's also a small, life-size statue of a handsome, quirky terrier. It's got a cute face and a surprisingly contentious history. The local people would surround the statue and try to defend it. They'd have lots of fights. Police would be called. And, uh, you know, this was, this was about principle. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And today, we're going to Battersea Park in London to hear the story of this charming statue of a dog and about the riots that it inspired. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Around the turn of the 20th century, doctors were trying to learn more and more about how the human body worked. And one of the ways that they were learning was by experimenting on animals. Um, what people were starting to do was cutting open animals to learn about physiology and how the body works. That's Jan Creamer. She's the president of Animal Defenders International. And dissections and autopsies are incredible useful tools for doctors and scientists. But in this case, she's not describing an autopsy. She is talking about something called vivisection. The name itself means live cutting. It was the practice of dissecting a living animal, normally while under anesthesia, to understand or teach how its body functioned. During the late 1800s, animal vivisection became a popular teaching method in the UK. It, you know, started off small and then just grew quite quickly and increased year on year. 
animal rights activists at the time were horrified over these practices. So in 1875, a group of them formed the National Anti-Vivisection Society with the specific goal of having vivisections abolished. In 1903, the situation came to a head when two Swedish animal rights activists, Louise Lind F. Hageby and Lisa K. Charteau, went undercover at the University College London. Their goal was to study how these vivisected animals were actually being treated. They made notes over a period of two months um, about what happened to this little brown dog. Um, It was used to pass from one experimenter to another, and uh, they recorded what happened to him. They spent some time with the dog on their own to see whether he was anesthetized or uh, conscious or or, or whatever. And... um, the, the, the notes that came out of it were absolutely devastating. In their notes, Luis and Lisa mostly write about a specific little brown terrier. They wrote about how this terrier was not, in fact, given anesthesia when it underwent its vivisection, and that it didn't undergo just one surgery either, as was protocol. One professor used the dog for a classroom vivisection and then passed it to another and that same dog went under the knife again. And so the dog suffered two um, series of being cut up, opened, and uh, used for experiments, and only then afterwards was killed. Luis and Lisa brought these notes to Stephen Coleridge, a lawyer who was working with the National Anti-Vivisection Society. Stephen looked at the evidence that the women had. He saw two breaches of the law. By the time Stephen Coleridge learned about these vivisection violations, the statute of limitations had already passed, so the police were not going to be able to help. Instead, Stephen did something even more powerful than going to the law. He went to the press. So in May of 1903, he held a public meeting in St. James's in London, St. St. James's Hall, and uh, invited the public to it and made a speech about it. Dr. Bayliss, the second professor to use the dog in a vivisection, got wind of this meeting and decided to sue Stephen Coleridge for defamation. He didn't want his reputation among the public to be that of a dog abuser, so he denied the accusations completely. The trial lasted just a few days because the evidence was really just Luis and Lisa's word against the prominent Dr. Bayliss. The judge decided that the evidence was inconclusive and awarded £2,000 to Dr. Bayliss for defamation. That is about $300,000 in today's money. And this substantial award made waves when the general public got wind of it. It had hit the newspapers. The newspapers were furious about what was done. The public were furious. And they all raised money to cover the money that had to be paid to Dr. Bayliss. And then they continued raising money. They wanted a memorial to what had happened to the dog. In 1906, at the behest of locals, a memorial statue of a little brown dog, the dog that Luis and Lisa had written about, was erected in Battersea Park. And Battersea Park was just a couple of miles from where the dog had actually undergone these vivisections. This statue was meant to honor this dog that had suffered so much, but not everyone felt good about it. The university college students, the science and medical students, 
they were not so excited about this statue. In fact, they disagreed that vivisections were an evil practice. They saw them as a valuable part of science, as part of their education. And so they took out their feelings on the statue itself. And then the University College London students started attacking it. They tried to remove it. They poured red paint over it. Um, they had a little chant that they used to sing. And it was, they said, uh, ha, 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 he, 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 little brown dog, how we hate thee. Meanwhile, locals who had raised funds for this dog did not take too kindly to these students attacking their new statue. They wanted the memorial to stay. So for about two or three years, there were continuous riots. Um, it became known as the Brown Dog Riots. So the students would come and try to attack the statue. The local people would surround the statue and try to defend it. They'd have lots of fights. Police would be called. And, uh, you know, this was, this was about principle. After three years of sporadic fights in the park, the local council decided that the only way to stop this would be to get rid of the statue altogether. So the statue was removed, but not without another fight. 3,000 people protested after it was taken down. Um, and that, you know, in those days in London, that was a big demonstration. 3,000 people protesting the removal of the uh, statue, but it was gone, it disappeared. And uh, just really the, uh, the story remained. Jump forward seven decades. In 1976, a young Jan Creamer, that is the voice that you have been hearing, was walking down the street when she encountered volunteers for the National Anti-Vivisection Society. They were handing out leaflets. And always a lover of animals, Jan decided to sign up. And uh, I was a volunteer for a few years. Eventually, Jan would join as a full-time employee and rise through the ranks of the National Anti-Vivisection Society. All the while, the animal rights movement in the UK never forgot about the brown dog statue and the riots that came with it. And as support for animal rights grew through the 1970s and 80s, activists decided to revisit the idea of a memorial. In 1985, the National Anti-Vivisection Society got another statue erected. And this one was a little more modern, a little more mm, fun, maybe. So whereas the old one is a, a dog kind of sitting up, looking straight, you know, a bit like all the other old statues of people that we see, where they're all staring out into the distance. With, with this, um, the, the artist um, who did it did something that was evocative of the life of the animal, the fact that there was a living being in there. It's much more of a feeling of movement and life about the new statue. And unlike in the early 1900s, the university students were perfectly happy to have it nearby. And so the little brown dog statue sits in Battersea Park once again. Jan says the story behind the brown dog statue isn't that well known, and that that's a little bit unfortunate for animal rights activists. Campaigners like ourselves. It's kind of nice to know we have a history. It's kind of nice to know 
how the people before us all fought so hard. Um, you know, I I think I, I'm personally quite lucky to be a campaigner for animals at, a ta- at this time now. Today's little brown dog statue, beyond just being a cast of a cute, energetic dog, also carries a message with it, one that dates all the way back to the original. So the inscription we've put on the new 1985 version of the statue is the same inscription as the original. And it says, in memory of the brown terrier dog done to death in the laboratories of University College in February 1903, after having endured vivisections extending over more than two months and having been handed over from one vivisector to another till death came to his release. Also in memory of the 232 dogs vivisected in the same place during the year 1902. Men and women of England, how long shall these things be? The last bit always gets me. Always gets me the last bit. Thanks to Jan Creamer for telling us this story. And the National Anti-Vivisection Society still exists as an organization within Animal Defenders International. If you want to learn more about them and their work, please go to ad-international.org. There is a link in the show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Baudelaire Seuss. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore. Our technical director is Casey Holford. And this episode was sound designed by Baudelaire Seuss and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com.
Ashley, for the love of home.